Welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. I'm a mom, physician assistant, writer, and life coach. Two years ago, I was feeling stuck, restless, overwhelmed, and I felt like I wasn't where I was supposed to be, but I had no idea what that even meant. And the crazy part is my life had turned out pretty awesome, at least on paper, but I couldn't figure out what was wrong or why I felt out of alignment. A series of books and podcasts and conversations changed my life and revealed my next journey one step at a time. My purpose right now is to help you wake up to your soul's purpose by sharing conversations with amazing women who've walked in your shoes. Keep listening and the answers to your next step will come, I promise. We're all here for a reason, and I'll help you figure out what that is so you don't have to waste another minute sleepwalking through your life. I definitely don't have it all figured out, so I'll also share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Hey, y'all, just in case you've wondered why you haven't heard me talking on an episode lately, it's because I did so many interviews and I saved them up and I didn't realize I had so many. So I've got this one and two more and then we'll take our break for summer between seasons two and three and then we'll be back. Hey, y'all, today I have a friend. Her name's Christy Amdahl. Her story will have you spellbound because it did me. I've only heard parts of it, so I'm excited about hearing the whole thing. Christy has her own podcast. She just started it. It has two episodes as of um, this recording. It's called Wayfinder Diaries. Let's start with um, maybe what you were like as a kid, because I know you have a history of um, going through some rough stuff as a kid and how that sort of molded you into the person you are today. You want to start there? Sure. Um, well, first of all, we moved around a lot. My dad had been in the military and the Navy, and then he was an ordained minister. And so I didn't know you were a preacher's kid. Yeah. And then turned law enforcement. So it got really interesting. So military preacher, kid, law enforcement. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. And so we moved around a lot when I was younger and I remember, um, I used to ponder like really weird things or existential things. And I remember like, I would always keep my thoughts to myself because, um, like, no, I knew no one would understand my question and just think I was weird. Like I used to wonder how do people, how can people own land? Like that was like a Mm -hmm. really concerning question to me because like, I mean, this is the earth we're just kind of plopped down here. How do we, how come some people think some of it's theirs? You know, I would ask myself questions like that and it would, So I had like this sort of philosophical mindset, I guess, when I was a kid, Um, but I was, I always felt very shy, um, very invisible, like literally invisible. Um, Mm -hmm. And that wasn't like a superpower invisible. It was like a, I don't know, I'm so insignificant invisible. I'm not sure. Um, But I've always been super sensitive, very empathic. Um, And yeah, so that was. You were highly sensitive before there was a highly sensitive, like thing. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, it's funny. I just learned about it when I was reading the ultimate coach book about Steve Hardison, who's like an incredible coach. Um, and I learned about the super highly sensitive person. Like, yeah. And so then I took the test and I was like, scored 94%. I found that <laughs> out yesterday. I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as a kid, you probably felt like you just didn't fit in. Oh yeah. I never fit in anywhere. Um, I, I had friends, but I remember like, they never felt like, like good friends, like real friends. I always felt like 
you know, they would tease me and it felt like, I mean, I don't want to go so far as say it was bullying. Cause I don't, I think like now and today it might be considered that just because we're really sensitive to the, you know, any sort of things mm-hmm. like that. But back then I just remember feeling like I knew they didn't understand me and I knew they thought it was kind of funny. And they let me like, they reminded me of that a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, yeah, so it was just, it was always kind of weird. And then, um, I remember one time I was very empathic. That was like something that really stands out to me. Like I really had no, like, I didn't have boundaries back then, like energetic boundaries at all. And I would take in people's pain and suffering. And there was one time, this was like a really, this really like stands out for me. I I was a little bit older. I was maybe nine or 10 or something, I guess, but um, at least I think I was, but I remember hearing like this news story about this young girl who was about my age and they, and they, um, she had been murdered and like, and the story mentioned that she had her underwear shoved down her throat. And I remember, and this is probably going to launch in this <laughs> next round of questions, but I remember when I heard this story, I remember like, I was so overcome by grief and pain and I was suffering so deeply that like, I wanted to die, literally wanted mm. to die because I was, it was so hard on me to hear about this story about this girl. Cause I just felt her pain. I felt like it was happening to me but worse because it was happening to somebody else, you know? Yeah. And then as a kid, you were also, is, is that when you first, um, sort of experienced depression? It was around that time. So like we moved to, uh, the Chicago area when I was going into fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And so I was nine years old and it was like, it was around nine. I, I think it was nine when I first you know, was depressed and it was nine or 10 when I, um, made my first suicide attempt. And it was like, it was like, uh, I mean, it's, it's almost laughable. It would be laughable if it, if I wasn't so like depressed and miserable, Yeah, your intention was, was the same as, as an adult who wants to end their life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I took, I mean, I was, I was young and naive and I saw a bottle of aspirin in my parents' medicine cabinet and it said like dose max dose one or two or whatever it was. And then it said, if you overdose call poison control immediately. So I dumped a hand, you know, like a hands, handful, I had a handful of aspirin in my hand and I took it. So I thought, I mean, in my naivety, I thought that that would do it. Yeah. And I don't remember why I was depressed. I mean, I don't remember what triggered that wanting to do that, um, at that moment, but I do know that I was depressed a lot. Like it lasted for a decade. Um, and it wasn't like a constant, constant thing. Like I was on a, I was captain of the swim team. I had some really good moments in my, in my life, but, um, but overall it was like, what I think when I think back during that time period, I think back to sort of like it's, it was beyond teen angst because everybody Mm -hmm. goes through stressors as a teenager and hormones and everything. But I think mine was way beyond that. And what stands out for me with your story is, um, you describe like er eras, it's my Southern accent, ERA (laughs) eras of your life. And you kind of divide them into these different, almost like book chapters. That's what it sounded like to me. And the common thread that seemed to run through the, the early years was this depression. And then later, as you got the tools to um, describe it, you describe a victim mentality. But at the time, I'm sure you didn't see it that way. So what happened to help you sort of shift gears? Yeah, so I had, um, I, I definitely didn't see myself 
I mean, I didn't know, I, I didn't know I, I had the victim mentality. I just knew that I was depressed and things sucked, but like, um, but I didn't really have a good reason for it. Like my family was intact. We didn't have a lot of fighting going on in my household. My parents, you know, both highly educated people. Um, there was like nothing about my upbringing to suggest that I would be as messed up in the head as I believed that I was. And then um, it was my, it was my 20th birthday. I had gotten into a fight with my then boyfriend and it was like really stupid. It was, um, uh, he had bought a brand new stereo system for his car and he didn't have enough money to buy me a birthday card or a birthday present. And I was like, mad. I was mad. I'm like, I would be mad on. too. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't even want anything until you went out and bought the stereo system. And then you told me you didn't have money for that. I'm like, a card is like $3. This was the nineties, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I got in a fight with him. And then I hung out with my uh, good girlfriend at the time and we got drunk off margaritas and this, my boyfriend was like against drinking. And so mm -hmm. he got even more mad and let's just say that night did not end well. <laughs> yeah. And so I, um, I went home that night and I don't remember a whole lot, but I do remember taking three bottles of sleeping pills and I did have those laying around because I used to like take sleeping pills to sort of numb my pain. Yeah. Um, because I was too young to like really access alcohol on a regular basis. So sleeping pills sort of went where my go-to. So I had a lot laying around. Um, and so, yeah, I took, swallowed three bottles of them and, wow. um, and yeah, I went to bed and uh, so, okay. <laughs> so my dad comes in my room the next morning as he's on his way into the office mm -hmm. and he sees me passed out laying on my own vomit. Um, that's what I was told. And so they rushed me to the ER and I'm like, not lucid at all. I mean, there's like a little, like I had flashes of consciousness, like brief flashes. Like I remember seeing the ceiling tiles, like jumping around, mm -hmm. so it was kind of hallucinating. And then I remember them like putting a, shoving a tube down my throat to pump my stomach. And then they stuck a catheter in, in me and an IV. And I hardly felt any of that. And those are mm -hmm. not pleasant procedures, but I was just so, so far gone. Um, and I looked at the heart rate monitor just like the last thing I remembered. And I remember it was like, oh, wow, I had been done an EMT training. So like I was familiar with what everything meant. And yeah. I was like, I'm in bad shape, but I didn't care, you know? And, um, and yeah, so. So when you came to like, when you, when it, when all the, uh, medicine wore off and you were like fully awake, did you think, okay, now I've got a new lease on life. Or was it more like, oh crap, it didn't work and I'm still here. Yeah. So I definitely did not think I had a new lease on life. Um, I was, when I came to, I was in the ICU and I spent some time in the ICU recovering from that. And um, I remember the only highlight at the time was I lost 10 pounds during my stay because they weighed me before and after. Mm -hmm. And I remember that was like, well, at least I lost some weight. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, So your was... mind was just not... <clears throat> I don't even know how to describe it. What do you think was going on at that time? I just, I don't even know. Like I, I was, I mean, I was miserable still. Um, in fact, they wanted to commit me to a psychiatric hospital and I had been committed for a few weeks when I was younger. And I remember what that was like. And I was like, no way. I'm like, I will never speak to you again if you do that. And so for some reason they listened to me and they released me. Yeah. Did you have yeah. any hope for the future at this point? Were you thinking like one day I'll, I'll be a mom or one day I'll have a degree or did you okay. have hopes for the future? <laughs> no, I had no plan. Um, well, I did have a plan. I take that back. My plan was to be a stripper in Vegas. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> your, your poor preacher dad. <laughs> I know, right. 
yeah, so that was my plan. Um, but I don't remember if I had that plan when I was like in the ICU, but it happened shortly thereafter. Okay. And so I had a few like rock bottoms after that, you know, near death rock bottom. Um, and most, and they involved, um, <laughs> they involved stunts of me trying to get to Vegas to be a stripper to fulfill my calling. <laughs> I'm laughing about it now because it's so ridiculous, but like, I was just so like, I was, I think looking back when I think about this now, I think I was in so much pain and so much agony. I was looking for relief. So, yeah, you know, alcohol or sleeping pills, or maybe it's like a new adventure or, and then this, the, with the stripping thing, like I remember thinking, you know, I would just, I had no self-esteem, no self-confidence. I just felt fat and ugly. And I'm like, well, at least if men are willing to pay me to take my clothes off, then I must be attractive. Oh. It was kind of like a salve for that deep wound that I had there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so, I, I mean, I eventually did have like a moment I pivoted, but it wasn't, I still had to, I had to hit another bot, like a couple of <laughs> further bottoms. So like mm -hmm. I, um, I finally did one night I was watching the movie showgirls. It's mm -hmm. about a girl who, uh, decides to hitchhike to Vegas to be a stripper. And I'd seen it before. And then she becomes this big showgirl. And I was drunk that night, I was watching that movie. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. So I packed up a bag of dancing type clothes and I stuck my thumb out and started hitchhiking. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I left my parents a note. So this, I, I forgot this part. I left my parents a note saying what I was doing. I'm like, don't worry. I'll call you when I get there. Oh and my gosh, Christy. Don't worry. Right. To Vegas. This, is like, this is maybe a month and a half after my suicide attempt. Maybe. Wow. It's not and, funny, but it's, I'm so glad you're here now and <laughs> I'm waiting I mean, for the turnaround. <laughs> I know it's coming. It's coming soon. So, um, so, uh, to make a long story short, my dad caught up with me and it was a, a long ride home to, uh, yeah, it was a long ride home. And then this time we didn't go home though. We went to straight to the psychiatric hospital. Or, he got you before you got to Vegas. He did. He got, he, okay. got, he caught up with me. That's his own story. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I ended up in the psychiatric hospital for a few weeks. Um, and there was a lot of stuff that even happened there. And when I was released, I was, so I was heavily medicated Mm -hmm. You know, we got to stabilize her. She doesn't do anything crazy anymore. So she's neither manic, which they describe this, the Vegas stunt as mm -hmm. being or suicidal. And so I was on things to like, keep me low and things to boost me up. Yeah. And, and so I was in, um, I was in therapy <laughs> I was in therapy and I was laughing because I thought of like a ridiculous story from that time, but I was in therapy and then I was also seeing my psychiatrist and I remember my psychiatrist a few months into this, he was like happy with my progress. It's like, and he told me, as long as you stay medicated, then you can live a so somewhat normal life. Oh, somewhat normal. <clears throat> yeah. And I was like, um, like this, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm freaking miserable. Like this, like, this is the best deal that you can offer me. Like, this is what I have to look forward to is like a life of this. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I asked him, how long do I have to be medicated for? And he said, the rest of you, the rest of your life. And I, I just, it was like, I don't know. It was, I just, at that point, I didn't really surrender in his office, but I did shortly thereafter. And cause you were just, like 20, right? Yeah, I was 20. I was 20 years old. Yeah. And, um, 
I just remember like everything just looked really, really bleak, but I didn't have the energy thanks to the meds to like even really be thinking about like suicide as an option anymore. I just didn't have it in me to think that, but I didn't have it in me to do anything different. It was like, I don't know if you've seen Eat, Pray, Love or read the book, but When Elizabeth Gilbert is in the floor in her bathroom crying at the beginning of the movie, she's like, the only thing that I can't imagine, I'm probably butchering it here. (laughs) I know I am, but it's like, she couldn't imagine staying in her marriage, but the only thing that she couldn't, but then she couldn't imagine leaving either. It was like this. The only thing worse than being married is um, leaving. And the only thing worse than leaving is staying in my marriage or something like that. Yeah, it was, that's pretty much, that was, that's what I was getting at. And that's where I, what I felt like, I just felt like just, it was awful. It was a terrible feeling. And, but it's funny because up until that point, I hadn't been trying to improve my life or anything either. Like I had made a game out of therapy and, um, it just, I was like, I just didn't see any future for me and yeah. um, just miserable. And then he said that to me and I left his office and I just kind of, I fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I did surrender after I left. I don't remember if it was the same day or if it was like the next day, but it was really like shortly thereafter. I just, I surrendered, like, I can't do this anymore. And then I heard this like voice, like then those omnipresent voices, like a God voice or something say, you're responsible for your own happiness. And I was like, where did that come from? (laughs) Yeah. Was it the meds? (laughs) Right. No, I mean, and And I mean, I don't remember if I had gone off the meds yet. If it was the same day, I certainly had. And I did take myself off everything um, shortly after that visit. Which we don't recommend, but. (laughs) Right. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not suggesting that. I just, I did that. And, um, but that's, that's not recommended. Um, But yeah, no, I I heard that voice and I wasn't reading self-help books. So it was, except for weight loss books. So it wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't, it wasn't one of those things where I was like, reading stuff. And I just remembered something I read and I wasn't religious. I'd rebelled against my upbringing and then I wasn't spiritual either. So like at the time I wasn't really, so I don't know where that came from, but I do view, do view it as like a divine intervention kind of thing. So you heard it. And then, then what, like what happened the rest of that day or the next day? I don't remember the specific day, but I do remember it was like, I did, that was a pivotal moment for me. That was like the, the, probably the most significant moment that happened to me in my life up till that point was hearing mm-hmm. that voice because then for some reason I was able to hear it and I just started taking ownership of my life. I started to, um, I started upgrading things. So I had, I was working the counter at a donut shop and it was not a, a good, it was not a good job on like lots of levels, but um, I, so I upgraded to another service job that paid better. And then I was promoted to shift supervisor and, um, and then I went back to school. I dropped out three times already. And this time I went back and I got on the Dean's list, which was like, wow, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I tried, I, I put effort into it and then like, and I, and it paid off. And so things were going really good. And I also, um, try to think I started viewing things from a different lens. Like I started looking for opportunities in my struggles, because that was, I think that was one of the biggest things that, and then also finding gratitude for where I was at, for the lessons that were being taught to me. And again, I don't know where this came from because I wasn't reading books on this back then. I was going to say, did you meet, did the universe deliver like people who were able to help you follow this path or books, or do you remember watching Oprah or (laughs) I don't know? No, that's the thing. It's like, I don't have any, I can't think of anything at the time 
that would have influenced me like that. It sounds like it was really a shift in your, your mindset was just like, I am responsible for my own life. Yeah, it totally was. And it really, it changed everything. Like I was no longer depressed. Like once I, like once I heard that voice, that decade of depression, and I'm not exaggerating here, like it literally dissipated. Yeah. Like then it was, I don't know. I just, I had hope from it. Uh So it was really, it was really powerful. Yeah. So you got on the Dean's list and at that point, were you thinking, I I want this for my future? Like, did you have kind of a, a hope for your future at that point? Yeah, for a while. So I was doing the school thing and thinking, I'll just, you know, I'll get my college degree. Like I'm supposed to do. This is what society says. You know, you go to school, you get your degree and then you get a good paying job and, and you have a family and you have the white picket fence thing. So I didn't have it all planned out, but the school thing, I, I was, you know, I was working towards that. And so I um, went, I had, I started at the community college and then I transferred to the Purdue university main campus in West Lafayette. And there I got involved with an environmental group and a student environmental group. Cause they had camp outs and I left camping <laughs> and, and, and then, um, and then I took a philosophy class. Um, and that was really, so then like, and sort of another pivotal moment happened. Mm-hmm. I uh, discovered Judy Krishnamurti. Uh, he wrote a book called think on these things or more like dictated it. And that book was just so eye-opening. It's like the most powerful book I've ever read in my life. Um, and it still is like to this day, I just got another copy of it back in the mail. Cause wow. I let mine out and someone didn't return it. So <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. And so that book had me start to really think about the trajectory of my life, where I was going, where I was mm-hmm. headed. And I started um, realizing that you know, the path that I was on, I was going to school to get this degree so that I could work in a cubicle somewhere, mm-hmm. helping someone else make a bunch of money doing something that who knows if I believed in it or not. And that wasn't resonating with me. That really started to get to me, but it was hard because now I have a bunch of responsibility. And now I'm, um, I'm a Senator of Purdue student government. Um, I was an executive director of the environmental organization at this point. I was lobbying. I remember I had a, a an event where I was um, lobbying several members of Congress and the Clinton administration over some forest protection legislation mm-hmm. that was out there. And like, I'm doing all these things. And I'm like, this is a really inconvenient thought that this Krishnamurti yeah. book is like a very inconvenient thing for me to be pondering right now, because um, it's like, if I'm, fo- if I like start listening to my own inner compass, and I didn't call it that back then, that's a newer thing. But I started to like live according to my inner compass, it's going to completely upend my life. Uproot my yes, life. it's highly inconvenient to listen to your inner compass a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally was. And uh, but as, Mar- as Martha Beck says, it can ruin your life. But then again, what kind of life are you living? And maybe right. it needs to be ruined. Right. Right. Are you living your life for you or are you living it for somebody else or for society? And, and if you're not living it for you, things aren't going to go that smoothly in your life. I mean, that can go smoothly anyway, but because that's the nature yeah. of life, but I just, yeah, I got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. And so I, I left school again and that's a whole, mm-hmm. um, it's like a different era, you know, another, course, book, another book chapter, <laughs> another book chapter. Right. Actually, it's like a whole book, um, but, but yeah, so yeah. So you ended up in applied economics. 
yeah, so fast forward a bazillion years and I'm like pregnant. I'm a single mom and I was working at an organic food store for five years, um, which I loved. I love that job, but something started itching at me. Like I had to do something different. And so I went back to school and I ended up choosing the school that I went to. It, I, I, I love that. Um, you know, these things like the synchronicities or things make more mm -hmm. sense when we go through the life coach training, but I, I've always been like bald eagles. When I see them, I just, something about that. It's like a signal to me. It's like a guide of some sort. And it's just a matter of what is it trying to tell me and what, whatever. And so I was checking out different campuses. I was checking out the university of Montana in Missoula. And I was mm -hmm. looking at you know, Montana state in Bozeman. And I saw two bald eagles right after my Montana state visit. I'm like, Oh, it's, that's it. Wow. <laughs> and so I went back to school and it, I ended up studying economics. I hadn't planned on studying economics. Economics kind of found me, but um, it turns out that Montana state has a more reputable or, or better with known econ program than the other school. And yeah. so that's, I think the Eagles were like, you got to go here. Cause I know you're going to study econ and this is where you need to be to study it. Yeah. And that's so funny. I did that. That was the, that's funny. Cause my husband studied natural resource economics there. Oh, interesting. Interesting. We might've had, I wonder if we had some of the same professors. <laughs> All right. So you did that. And at that time, were you thinking I am going to spend my life doing numbers? Oh gosh, no. Like, <laughs> so when I decided to study, I, I wasn't going to share the story, but I guess, well, so um, I went in as a pre-business major okay. thinking, okay, let's, I mean, what do you study? You go back to school, you want to make enough money to support your family or for me to no longer like be, to not be reliant on anyone else to be able to support my daughter. And so I figured out, I figured, well, I should go in as a business major, but in order to get into the school of business, you have to take like a couple of classes. And one of them was an intro to macroeconomics. And so I took this class and it was taught by this kind of this old liberal professor and uh, it just flipped upside down. I mean, I fell in love with econ from his class. I had gotten a D in econ at Purdue um, when I was there before. Like I hated econ and like, and I loved it, fell in love with it. So then I studied econ because it flipped upside down how I view the world. Like how do people make decisions based on uh -huh. like the scarcity of resources? And it, it was just a very rational line of thinking. And I'm like the philosopher in me, it was kind of like, this is cool. I like it, you know? And so I studied it and I did really well. And I graduated at the top of my class. And so wow. then what do you do? You go to grad school. They offer you mm -hmm. money. They say, we want to pay you to go to school and study this. So I'm like, okay, I'm in. And it was all math. It was all numbers. And it was all econometrics, which is like the econ version of statistics. And I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh. I mean, I passed my courses and my core exam, but I'm like, this is, I am not a math person. Like, I mean, yeah. not that I can't do it, but that's not what I wanted to be doing. But then- now I'm set up. I have a ton of student loan debt. Now I've basically my first job out of there was as a uh, working as a tax policy and revenue analyst in the governor's budget office. And that had a lot of responsibility and was a lot of numbers. And I ended up getting good uh -huh. at data analysis. Every job I had since then was in data of some kind. And I didn't mind it. It wasn't like awful work. It was, I was good at it. I got good at spreadsheets. I even had a spreadsheet website called the spreadsheet alchemist that was <laughs> teaching women how to use spreadsheets like solopreneurs. And it was pink and purple and had gold sparkles and sacred geometry everywhere. It was not, <laughs> it did not have Excel green anywhere in the site. And it was like, I made it fun sort of, mm -hmm. but my heart was never really in it. 
Oh, tell, tell about when you read Gay Hendricks' book. Yeah, so Gay Hendricks wrote this amazing book called The Big Leap. And I read that book, um, this, like just a few months ago, I read it because I think Martha Beck recommended it or something. Mm -hmm. And I, so I read it and oh my gosh, I saw myself in my zone of excellence. They're like, I think it was four different zones of being or Mm -hmm. where you're working or, or whatever. I might be screwing, like messing that up a little bit, but basically most of, most people get stuck in their zone of excellence through their life. They get good at something and then they get stuck in there, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that like they have any passion for it or that they're meant to be doing this work or they're called to do it or anything. It's just what they're good at. And I was good yeah. at data analysis. And so, but that is a great way to like not live a fulfilling life when yeah, you're stuck in your zone of excellence. Because there's a zone of genius and that's where you want to be. And that's where you will like, light up where you it's exactly where you're meant to be um I can see my my husband if he were here would be rolling his eyes right now because he's like you know what a lot of people just have to earn a paycheck and they they don't have the privilege of going after their zone of genius but I think we do have a choice and that's that's what I've seen you living out is like you don't you have a choice so tell us what you did with that yeah so let me just preface this by saying I have a daughter. Do- my daughter is 19 now and she's in college and I have a, like with, I have an agreement with her dad, a legal agreement saying that I have to provide a certain percentage of okay. her out-of-pocket college costs. So like legally I am obligated to, I have this fi- one financial responsibility and I can go to court if I don't honor that. And then of course I have to pay housing. I have, um, I have expenses just like everybody else. I have my mm-hmm. cell phone and whatever. So it's not like, I didn't have any financial responsibilities when I made these decisions. So I guess back in October, right. When we started the wayfinder training, like I started, I had, I was like nearing a mental breakdown. I was just completely like, I wasn't, I didn't feel like capable of doing my job anymore. Like I had the skill set to do my job and everyone there was great. I had Mm -hmm. a good work environment. It was optimal for me as an introvert, like in checked off. Like if I had a checklist of what I was looking for in a good job, like everything checked, Mm -hmm. um, like everything, but I was like about to have a mental breakdown. So I ended up, I took a week of PTO in October. I used up my sick leave. I took another week of PTO in November, like literally gave my boss less than 24 hours notice. I'm like, I need to take a week off. I need to take off starting like right now. And oh, sorry to interrupt. I forgot about your shoulder too. Oh yeah. I'm getting to that. Okay. So, <laughs> so this is like November and I've taken my second full week of PTO with like less than 24 hours notice just to recharge. Um, and I'm still like, I am still not I did nothing recharge. I'm still like dreading being at work and and I don't know why. And then I woke up one morning in December, mid-December and I was in like agony, like my shoulder, I was in so much pain, my shoulder going up to the neck at the base of my skull. It's like this whole line on my left side of my body was in severe pain. My mobility, my range of motion was very drastically reduced. And I'm like, I don't, what happened? (laughs) You know, what's going on? And like, I knew like there was a knowing in me that this is psychosomatic or this is, this is me not living my life the way I'm meant to live. I mean, mm-hmm. the, there are so, I, I feel like the universe was just like screaming at me at this point or shaking me, lovingly shaking me, I guess, in a way it was like, we've done all these things to try to 
make it clear to you that you're not on your right path. Like I had other physical stuff before that. It was just Mm -hmm. easier to like ignore it. Like I was losing a lot of hair, like Mm. way more than what was a normal rate of, you know, shedding in the shower. And that was distressing, of course. And then I've had digestive stuff sometimes and my skin, like I'll get rosacea type stuff sometimes when I can't, when I didn't do anything different. So I've had like different things that like could be responses or to stress mm-hmm. and like medical tests check normal. My, you know, I don't have a thyroid issue anymore, things like that. So there wasn't like a good explanation for what was happening. It was just like, okay, well, it's one of those things. And, but the shoulder thing, I was like, okay, this, I can't ignore anymore. This is like way too painful. So I went to uh, the two different orthopedic surgeons in Chicago at one of our best teaching hospitals here. So like I went to the best of the best to get mm-hmm. this evaluated. And they're like, what did you do? I'm like, I went to bed. They're like, no, you had to have done something. Mm. No, <laughs> I haven't even been doing yoga. You know, I mean, it's just, I don't even know. Um, and the treatments that they gave me, including the cortisone shot and PT and stuff, uh, didn't, I mean, didn't really, didn't work. And I, I didn't think they would, cause I just, I had this sense. I'm like, this is not, this is my body. This is my soul telling me you are not in alignment. Yeah. <laughs> and I just knew it. And so I guess, so that was December in January, I went to the doctors and then I was reading, um, Gay Hendricks, the big leap and reading mm-hmm. about the zone of excellence versus zone of genius. And of course I instantly recognized myself in the zone of excellence. <laughs> And I, I finally, I don't know, I just, everything kind of came together for me and I started, I, I knew what I needed to do. I needed to quit my job, yeah. but how do you do that when you have, when I have the responsibilities that I have uh-huh. and I've been unemployed a few times as an adult. And I've had just my situation. There's a lot of story that I didn't share today, but my financial situation wasn't good either. Like I don't have a, I didn't have, I mean, I was just starting my retirement mm-hmm. savings. Like I, my bank account balance mirrored my credit card statement. Yeah. Um, so it's like, in other words, like, and I, then let's not even talk about student loans. I mean, they're, they're yeah. like forbearance or whatever they, that whole mm-hmm. thing was. So it's like, I wasn't even thinking about them, but like, I'm like, I'm not in a position to quit my job, but yeah, my shoulder was there saying, no, you're, you, you need to do this. Ah, <laughs> and uh, that's so hard. Yeah. And it was like, okay, I know I need to do this, but how do I do it? How do you do it? Like, how do you make that leap? I mean, and you always hear like, you know, wise people will say like the how is not up to you. Mm-hmm. And I hear that. And then I say, but, but, right. but I have like, I have this agreement, this custody agreement I have. Right. And we want certainty. We want, yeah. we want a sense of certainty. We do not like the unknown. And yeah, I, I, the irony, I mean, we want to feel like we're in control of our lives, but the irony is that that control is just an illusion. Like I could yeah. have been fired from my job, my job downsized a ton of people uh-huh. like right before I quit. Like who knows? I mean, I could have been one of those people coming up. I just, you just don't know what's going to happen. And, but yeah, I finally, I, I, I talked with some coaches about this. Oh, so this was, I got to share this because I already mentioned one Eagle earlier. Um, I was, I was on a, a coaching call with a friend and one of the coaches in our, in our cohort, she, um, she had emailed me and I'd asked her some questions and the, the nature of the email is related to me, my next step in life, leaving yeah. my job. It was loosely related to that. 
and I hadn't opened her email. I just saw the notification because I'm on a Zoom call with a, you know, yeah. a friend client. And I looked out my window and I'm, I live in the city of Chicago. I don't live in a suburb. I'm in the city. And I looked out my window and there was this bald eagle right outside my window flying up his little, it was so close. His little yellow talons were like wow. into his body. I could see them. And it was like maybe 15 feet like way from where I am right now. Wow. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. that was a sign that to me, that was a sign. Cause I, I trust those synchronicities because you don't often see bald eagles. In no. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you made, did you make the decision in that moment? Like, all right, I'll do it. I think a part of me did. I didn't actually take action on it yet. And I was still like, but it was, it was a sign that I couldn't ignore. And it was one of those things. I think, I think in that moment, I knew I was going to, I just didn't have the actual plan to do it. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So then, um, at the end of February, I finally, it was, <laughs> it was like a Friday afternoon. I'm like thinking I've got to do it. Something about me just tells me I got to do it now. I have to do it. And then I was in it, somehow in Facebook, there was like another coach who's not in our cohort. He's not, he's not a wayfinder uh, life coach. She's like a Tony Robbins life mm-hmm. coach and law of attraction one, but I'm friends with her. She posted some random thing on Facebook and I happened to respond, which I normally don't. And then it turned into like a Facebook coaching session. She was coaching me. And at the end of it, I'm at the end of the conversation, I'm like grocery shopping where we're doing this at Whole Foods. And at the end of it, I'm holding up a picture. I'm holding up a bottle of Veuve Clicquot champagne and I'm taking a selfie and I'm posting it to that thread and I'm saying, yep, I'm doing it. Wow, Christy. And so the next day I emailed my notice. <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern with impulsivity. <laughs> yes. Yes. There is a bit of one there. But other ballpark. It's <laughs> <laughs> all the story. It sounds like once you knew, it would be almost impossible not to do it. Like your your heart, your soul, like it was pulling you to leave. And uh so yeah, it's been that was February. So it's been what, three months almost? Or two well, months? so I, so my last day was March 11th. So, oh, okay. just, so it's been a month. I, I did, I did go back and do a little bit of consulting work for them, but that was like six hours on my terms. I'm okay with that. Cause that's, different, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, so it's, <laughs> yeah. How is it? Does it feel good? Does it feel terrifying? Uh, yes. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> Both. I mean, it, it feels it feels good. Um, of course, I mean, it is scary because what, what happens if I can't support myself doing this? Um, cause I'm not but, supporting myself yet, but what happens if you do? Right. Yeah. And what I tell myself is that like, when I left, I mean, as a data analyst during this great resignation, I was getting hit up left and right by recruiters for a contract job for tons of stuff. So I'm like, you know what? worst case scenario. And my, like my heart's heavy, even saying this, I'm hoping it doesn't ever have to happen temporarily, but I could temporarily go and pick up a contract three month contract thing and just do it for a short period of time. And, you know, to make enough money and just be really frugal. And until I get to that, that next point. Yeah. That's funny. I always say for my, like, you can always, I always say you can always drive a school bus knowing like I'm a sucky driver and I hit you know, back into trees and stuff, but I'm always like, I could at least be a school bus driver. (laughs) Right. No. And for me, I'm like, I used to love working at this organic natural food store, grocery store. I'm like, I could always, 
go to Whole Foods and I mean, it's not the same environment, but I could still go to Whole Foods and do that um, if, they'll, if they'll hire me. But like, I feel like there are options that are sort of regressive in a way, but like if I need to earn some money yeah. before I have it coming in, it's okay. And so I like, get there are some options available. And you are taking ownership, which is something you didn't do in the first third of your life or the first, you know, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, um, it's, I, part of me, like as an adult. So when I was a single mom, I was always looking for somebody to save me Uh like a man, like, and I'd been married and divorced twice and neither took my daughter's father. Um, and in both instances, it was clear that the guy wasn't going to save me. Um, And I, I didn't actually think about that. It's not like when I was dating, I was looking for somebody. And I, I definitely am not the person who's looking for a sugar daddy. It's not like that. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it was like, I just want to be able to be with somebody who's going to take care of me so that I can do with, I don't, so I don't have to worry about doing stuff that like I hate doing so that yeah. I can whatever, do my thing. <laughs> but it doesn't work out that way. Or at least I, I wasn't wired that way. And, or I didn't look in the right places, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, then I would have been a slave to that you know, to someone else's paycheck, which isn't a way to live either. So yeah, I started, I mean, I feel like my whole life now, even though I do some, like, yes, I definitely do some impulsive things in, in, in my defense with that, with uh, (laughs) the job thing, it's been a long time coming. It was just impulsive in terms of my, (laughs) oh, I know, but like, I do that to myself all the time. (laughs) But if you could, Christy, like get talking about the you who was dating and like looking for the, you know, you complete me sort of thing. Like, what would you say to yourself if you know what you know, if you knew what you know now? Um, I would say like absolutely get in touch with your intuition and trust it. I think that that is the thing that has been one of the most important things in my life has been this, um, this willingness to like turn inward, to hear the truth, whatever the truth is in any situation. And it's expressed through my body and it's expressed through, you know, other things like I meditate and I I hear things sometimes that way I access my intuition in nature, but like when I listen to it and when I actually follow it, I feel this sense of peace and mm. that sense of peace, I think is so critical. It's, it's almost like it's the universe sort of remind or showing you that you're on the right path. Even if you mm. don't, even if you don't know where you're going, like taking one step forward at a time, even if you can't see anything else, it's like, you just take that one next step and then check it, checking in with yourself as to whether that step feels aligned. Like I would really want to, tell my younger self that it is so critical. You don't, that you don't, that you don't like ignore it. Mm -hmm. Like both of my marriages, like I said, I was married and divorced twice, both of them before I got married, I knew I shouldn't be getting married to them. I knew that you had that deep knowing. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I did it anyways. Like we're too far along in the process, you know, Mm -hmm. too many plans have been made or you can't back out now, or you're just getting cold feet or you're going to hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like all that stuff cluttered my head and like clouded my vision. And what happened? Well, we got married, then we got divorced anyway. And then that person's even maybe mm-hmm. more hurt. And I mean, 
And, and I think the, the worst, the most painful hurt there is that I knew it and I didn't stop it. Mm-hmm. I knew that I shouldn't have done that. And I, I didn't it's, listen to it. It's like <sighs> a finding yourself. I mean, you're, you're uncovering the layers and slowly peeling them off and, and discovering like who you are. Yeah. Did yeah. your shoulder pain go away? No, um, it didn't. And so of course that's, that's the, that's the interesting thing. And so Dr. Google tells me that the shoulder issue that I was told I have by those orthopedic guys, uh, that it, it's a, an impinged rotator cuff or something uh-huh. like that. And Dr. Google tells me that that can take a good year to yeah. resolve on its own. And so I've just been like, okay, well, I'm patient with it. It's, it's not fun, but I I've come to be okay with it, with it and just paying attention to it. But also, I also recognize that maybe there's something else going on that like, maybe there's something else to uncover. I was reading this book. I'm trying to remember what it was called now. Um, but it's about like the relationship between pain, especially back pain, but like other kinds of pain and like, like repressed feelings of rage or memories or just different things. And yes, I've been, and it's, I've been struggling with that because uh-huh. I'm like, I don't want there to be a repressed memory. That's going to like be like, be so terrible that I, I know. have to deal with something huge, you know, mm-hmm. in my life. But so, so I've been like, kind of, you know, asking my shoulder, you know, what's going on here? What do you need from me? When I meditate, I, like I just did this morning before this call, I send healing love and energy and light to my shoulder and I do things like that, but I still have the pain. So I don't, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, Y'all may think this is woo woo, but it really, really has power to it. Um, I would have thought, you know, it's totally wacky like 10 years ago, but now I talk to my migraines and talk to my stomach and all these things. <laughs> yeah. And there's doc, I mean, there's like medical doctors that write books on these connections and, and there's a lot of research on this stuff. And mm-hmm. so it's, in fact, I actually didn't even want to read this book because I'm like, I, I gravitate more toward the woo than the, than the, um, than the research after my whole econ thing, for some reason, it's like, I'm trained to evaluate the validity of research and and, um, especially when it comes to like the results and yeah, people think correlation equals causation. And it's so not true, but we're like, we think, oh, these two things move in the same direction or opposite directions. Therefore there's a relationship. Well, it's like, well, maybe they just move together. You know, yeah. maybe it's not because one causes the other. So like, I mean, I'm, I'm a critical thinker, but I just, for some reason, I just feel like Western medicine so often discounts that mm-hmm. mind body connection. And then like, I know that it's, tr- it, that there's something to it. Like my hair yeah. is not falling out that way anymore, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the shower. Yeah, that ended. Um, yeah, that ended. Um, so yeah, but it's, there's, there's a lot of research on it and it's just, I Saren, I think is maybe the doctor's name. If you think of it, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you know. I, I, I have it on my Kindle, so. Well, tell our listeners where they can find the podcast and read more of your blog and learn all things Christy. Thank you. Yeah. So my podcast is a new podcast. It's called Wayfinder Diaries. It's on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Google. I can put it on more platforms if I get requests for it. 
Um, my website is christyamdahl.com and there I blog a lot about my own story. I'm a storyteller first uh-huh. and foremost. And I find like the, I, I find meaning in my struggles. And, and so that's kind of what I share, like everything is shared with a purpose. Like what can we find from this? Hopefully to be an inspiration to other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. And I have fun free downloads and meditations and all sorts of goodies over there. So I hope that y'all visit. Yeah, Chris, I've done one of Christy's meditations and it was amazing. So go over to her website and you can listen to it for free. And yeah, Christy, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Hope. Thanks so much for having me. And oh, I say if I mean, my podcast, I'm open for guests. So if you are listening and what you're hearing resonates, then definitely drop me a line. Yay. Wow. Thank you, Christy, for sharing that story with such honesty and vulnerability. Y'all, here are the take-home points. Number one, you are responsible for your own happiness, regardless of what's happened in your past. A job, degree, or partner can't save you. Number two, taking ownership of your life might not look drastic at first. It could be upgrading from a very crappy job to a less crappy job and making small changes in baby steps. Number three, a key to happiness is viewing things from a different lens, looking for opportunities in your struggles and finding gratitude for the lessons being taught to you. Number four, listening to your inner compass can be highly inconvenient, but it'll tell you if you're living your life for others as opposed to for yourself. Number five, most people get stuck at what they're good at. This is their zone of excellence, as mentioned in The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. But this isn't how to live a full, fulfilled life. Instead, you want to live in your zone of genius. Number six, persistent physical problems could be your soul telling you you're not on your right path or you're not living the life you're meant to live. Number seven, get in touch with your intuition and trust it. It is the universe or God showing you you are on the right track. y'all for listening. It was so much fun talking to you today. All right. If you are ready to make some major changes in your life, if you're at the point where you are sick and tired of feeling stuck and directionless, and you really don't know what to do next or where to go, maybe it's time we had a little chat. So I have it set up on my website. You can schedule a free 30-minute discovery call and we'll sit down and decide if we're a good fit. Maybe you'd prefer group coaching. Maybe you need one-on-one coaching or maybe you just want to talk and and say hello. So go on over to my website. It's coachhopecook.com. That's H-O-P-E-C-O-O-K.com and schedule the free discovery call. And I can't wait to talk to you. So See you next week, and hopefully I'll talk to some of you before that.